Good morning and welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. Today I'm going to talk about a number of different topics. And uh, the first one I wanted to get into was we, and by we, I mean the sound healing group that I'm a part of, the shamanic sound healing group that I'm a part of called Dream Seed, is starting a nine-month, 130-hour in-person and online training for people from October this year until June of next year will be hosted at the Golden Drum in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, but will, as I mentioned before, also be online as well. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because I do feel like that it is actually relevant in a lot of ways to many topics discussed on this podcast. So I'm not going to discuss it from a position of advertising so much as I am just going to be talking a little bit about some of the themes and things we're going to cover and because i think that they're relevant for people who listen to this podcast so uh we started dream seed like i think in 2013 Uh, my friend brooke and a couple other people she was working with were already doing sound baths at the golden drum and they were pretty epic magical experiences like when i remember when i first went to them it was you definitely feel like you've just been entirely transported to another world and dimension. Uh, the different instruments and configuration and songs. And when we say sound bath, what makes it a sound bath is this idea that you're utilizing sound to create almost like an ocean of vibration. And the music is not just something that's pleasant to listen to. It's really something that you are feeling resonate resonating throughout your entire being and it's something that reaches you in the deepest of ways in addition because you're in a meditative state you're not just going there to be entertained or to be uh, intellectually stimulated you're trying to go deep into your own psyche your own self and you're trying to connect with the feeling experience of the sound and so as a sound healing practitioner we create and soundscapes utilizing a lot of instruments that are oftentimes drone or overtone emitting things like the didgeridoo the crystal singing bowl uh gongs um, harmonium many other types of little interesting uh types of instruments many things people haven't seen before that are pretty unique to kind of this world and the idea is to create something that's like a sound that has like a texture the atmosphere you can like feel it moving through your entire self and that uh, symbiotic connection between the person listening and their practice through their meditation and the practitioner so to speak or the musician who is creating the sound that symbiotic relationship uh, opens up a profoundly deep experience for someone to go access things inside of themselves that they previously have not been able to do so and we've been doing these sound baths in brooklyn for well over 10 years we've traveled around we've done it all through the northeast gone to boston gone through vermont gone out to california uh actually did one off hollywood boulevard with (laughs) brooke and my other friend matt who's also been on this podcast and we've done them in England, we've done them in Poland, and even in Egypt once before, although not for the general public, for a group that we brought there. But long story short is that 
our group has so I feel that been playing together and not just playing together but also with one another living together not just through in community practice of music but also communal living spiritual discipline studying under similar teachers the same teachers and playing together not just in dream sea but also in other ceremonial settings and other meditative settings and other just recreational settings casual settings we have created this extremely unique and dynamic and multifaceted and layered uh, relationship that expresses itself through sound. And what is awesome about the way we do things is that we try to keep it as improvisational as possible so that we are creating space for whatever spontaneously wants to come through in the moment. And the most powerful Ikaro or healing song that you could possibly create is one that is spontaneous that I, f I feel a lot of confidence in. When things are fixed, structured, and rigid, even if we know them to be effective, uh, they can and still will be effective, but there's something that is truly magical that comes through the spontaneity. And it's also something you can't force. It's something that has to come uh, through a genuine connection in the present moment. And the times when you try to force it, things can get very wonky. But that's another thing that I really like about the fact that this is a shamanic sound healing experience is that we embrace the wonky, so to speak. We embrace the chaotic at certain moments. Not everything has to sound really beautiful. Sometimes the most beautiful thing can be something that's like totally disruptive or dissonant. And when I say beautiful, that might not actually be the best adjective to describe it. What I'm more getting at is that when you create sound that is dissonant, that could be infinitely more effective as a healing tool and for moving energy in a space and opening something for somebody than constantly relying on something that sounds really beautiful and relaxing and part of my feeling about that is right is because we as human beings tend to stuff all kinds of crap down inside of ourselves and we have things that start to uh, boil up and we get triggered and what, what is a trigger exactly right trigger is something that uh, throws us off our center and throws us into that mix of repressed emotional crap and makes us have to process and confront those things and of course we don't like to do that because who wants to feel uncomfortable who wants to feel dissonant who wants to feel sense of stress or anything related to it Nonetheless, the value of being in a triggered state as such is that we are now given access to those emotional things that were previously running havoc in our life, but from the unconscious, meaning we didn't have access to them. We didn't have the capacity to confront them, process them, transmute them, work with them. They were instead just totally uh, running our lives, but from beneath our control. So the value of being thrusted into triggering situations is that we suddenly are gaining access to something that is much deeper and we are being forced to look and confront those things. So the right perspective about it can be tremendously beneficial. That being said, I don't think any of the music that we necessarily create is like particularly triggering. It's just that at some moments we will uh, allow space for something dissonant to come through because that dissonance, in the same way that perhaps like an argument or something like that, it's kind of a funny thing to compare it to, but 
will put you in a place where you're able to confront those emotional things. And then the way that we like to do things is that we have a sense of balance that comes through the music. And so then afterwards, something very soothing and calming will arise, which allows us to effectively clean whatever things came up for people. And this is in a lot of ways uh, parallel with what you might see like in Vipassana where you're sitting for uh, nine days without moving and you go through a tremendous amount of discomfort and pain. And then at the end on the last day, the 10th day, they'll say, okay, we're going to do a meta meditation where we're really going to focus on like compassion and sending out good vibrations, not just focusing on bodily sensations. And this process of getting into a place where we are focusing on like compassion and a soothing, calming experience of meditation, uh, Goenka, the teacher says, is like a soothing bomb that we put over all this deep surgical operation that we've done. So the dissonant friction of sound that might create be created within the shamanic sound bath is something that can be both spontaneous or intentional and also uh, is a form of surgery, so to speak. So this is kind of like, I always tell people acupuncture, sonic acupuncture, sonic surgery in a lot of ways. But it, at the same time, Uh, Like a lot of different healing techniques, it's something that requires an openness from the participant, the listener. If you come in with a very clouded and heavy mind, you're not open-minded to the practice of meditation or the practice of mindful listening even, which is perhaps even more simple, then whether or not this uh, modality will really be transformative for you is hard to say. But when someone comes in with a really open and receptive and spacious state of consciousness, the music will indefinitely lead to healing or transformation or a more profound opening for people. And this has been my experience. You know, it's interesting when we first went on tour, people would come up and sharing things about uh, with anxiety or depression or PTSD Uh, all kinds of afflictions like people who are veterans, just really, really deep stuff that people would come up and share. And I was like, wow, just an hour and a half or two hours of music, like you, you felt that you had that much of a cathartic release. And so it is something that does work and is tremendously effective. It just requires people to be open-minded. And at the same time, even if you are not open-minded and you were to come into one of these experiences, I don't think you couldn't uh, not be blown away by just the amazing configurations of instruments and diversity of sounds that you hear. Because what we really strive to do is create a intertribal altar space. So. The idea is that it is a sound bath that's not focusing just on instruments from the Americas or from, you know, India or from Africa or from Tibet or something like that, or just gongs in China or something like that. We really try to bring together sounds from as many different places as possible. And what's amazing is when you have 12 plus members of the group, and I say plus because we have, you could say like 
members at large or members on the fringe, people who come in and out, people who play with us, who maybe are not directly in the group, but are definitely members of our community in one form or another. Uh, and so you have 12 plus people and all these people are dedicated to uh, musicianship and instruments and so on and so forth. You have, you know, hundreds of instruments sometimes. I'm looking at a photo right now of an altar that was uh, photographed at one of the two-day sound healer trainings that we did. <laughs> I think there's got to be something like 85 instruments on the altar, and I think this was something that was, uh, there was only three or four musicians there. Looks like there's about 45 flutes on the altar. <laughs> A little excessive on some level, maybe, because you know you never can play everything at once unless you do something that goes on for many days. I guess. Nonetheless, it's uh, cool because when you have so many options, you really can get a unique soundscape and a unique experience for every time that people come. And yeah, of course, there's overlaps, but ultimately, the uh, range of creativity through the diversity of instruments and the like diversity of locations from where the instruments come from is quite profound and pretty epic. So I think that's one thing that's made our group particularly successful over the past 10 years and really dynamic and very unique. I have yet to come across something that feels of a parallel nature. And we'd like to tell people that it's really ultimately a ceremonial experience. It's not something that is a concert. It's not something that's entertainment. It's not something that is even in and of itself i would say a therapy or just a healing experience it's a ceremonial experience because within the context of a ceremony things also need to be there needs to be space for joy and for creative expression in a way that is not just a therapeutic use of everything so I, I like that about the idea of a ceremony is like it encompasses all these things. It does it in some level it can encompass entertainment <laughs> and it can encompass uh, all kinds of things. It encompasses everything. You know, it shouldn't be exclusive to essentially anything. And that is also a very difficult thing at times for people to digest, specifically with maybe like a plant medicine ceremony or something along those lines, because people think that the ceremony needs to be something that is like a spa treatment and that is a very inaccurate way of approaching it um it's needs to be something that challenges your boundaries it needs to be something that makes you uncomfortable it needs to be something that makes you grow that makes you curious that makes you feel empowered that makes you feel connected and to be able to create a package of something that does all of that um, it has to be multifaceted and it has to encompass all kinds of things, you know, trickster energy, and it has to encompass humor, and it has to encompass humility, and it has to encompass like a sense of uh, respect of lineage, and all, all just all kinds of things that are you don't know not necessarily find in like a concert, so to speak, or a healing experience of therapeutic experience of something and the you could talk about it forever and, and still maybe never be able to wrap your head around it because ultimately it's not something that could be explained through language it can only be experienced and felt through your being so that's something that i think is particularly unique also about our group is that it is a ceremonial experience it is not just 
a uh, sound healing experience. And so that's what we're really going to be trying to train people in with uh, this program. And it's been kind of like hard on a certain level to articulate it, at least within my own self, because it's not just sound healing. It's not just learning to play instruments. It's not just learning to sing. It's not just learning to hold space for people. It's not just learning to do healing work. It's not just learning to create an altar and open to the directions and understand some context about where these things come from. Uh, it is going to be all of that, but it's going to be how to craft and create a ceremonial container and experience for people that is authentic and is simultaneously connected to a lineage of teachers. And I feel like that that in and of itself is something that uh, requires a lot of deep study. It's something I'm still perpetually learning to understand within myself. And, you know, we've created basically a list of topics and essentially what we're going to be doing. We have nine weekends, two days, uh, Friday nights and all day Saturday, including a uh, full weekend of Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday with our teacher, Maestro Manuel Rufino, here up in the Catskills. Um, obviously, if you're doing something online, you would not participate in that. But what we're going to be covering in the weekend are, uh, you know, how to play different instruments like overtone emitting instruments, wind instruments, uh, percussive instruments, string instruments, and then how to kind of like layer and uh, bring them into harmony with the four elements. You know, how to connect to a wind instrument through the spirit of water, for instance. I think that you could get boxed into thinking, oh, this is just an air element instrument. But there's a way to play every instrument that invokes uh, the energy of a specific element. And obviously some instruments, a flute, particularly with the connection of air, for instance, are more naturally oriented towards a specific element. But there's a unique way to bring the elements through each instrument. And so we're going to be discussing a lot about that. We're going to be talking about like holding a container for people, how to do healing work on people, how to um, understand what it means to be a channel and a vessel for creating this type of sound, you know, how to uh, free your voice, how to create a singing practice, uh, learning to do overtone and throat singing, you know, working with mantras and sacred songs from different traditions around the world, different healing songs, and understanding, like, what is it about these songs that makes the... Uh, makes them fall into the category right of a healing song like breaking those things down and then obviously teaching mantra and healing songs to people as well going into music theory going into overtones and harmonics how is sound healing used in traditional indigenous cultures uh we've mentioned creating a container understanding the medicine wheel the four directions the three hearts the elements creating altars uh using herbs and incense copal cedar sage uh, to clean the space and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing too to talk about that for people who perhaps are not accustomed to it it's something that you know I the only time I've really seen incense used in our in like the the dominant culture here is a lot of times like in the in like the church 
maybe in the Catholic Church. I haven't been to Catholic Mass in a long time, so I don't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure I have an image of a guy with incense. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, individuals use it. I'm thinking more about, like, where it's, like, institutionalization of incense. <laughs> but it's very interesting to study, like, the Native American culture around utilizing herbs and incense for uh, invoking states of consciousness and releasing oneself from undesirable states of consciousness, so to speak, and using the herbs to as essentially a vehicle to bring people somewhere and how that can operate in conjunction with sound, with intention setting, with uh, a meditative practice, an active listening and you know the multi-dimensionality of instruments throughout the entire world it, it creates a pretty powerful uh, configuration of things that can bring the mind to a quite transformative place and you know the more that I've done this the more I feel like it's something that people oftentimes feel like they need to take a substance or something to get somewhere but I always feel when you come into the container that is dream seed uh undoubtedly per, you assuming you were open as mentioned before you will go somewhere that's quite powerful and profound and i think that that in itself is like a, a particularly profound revelation because you just start to recognize like the true medicine the true you know um visionary experience is something that can be induced uh without substances that can be induced uh just through how we are crafting our, our set and setting for what we're looking into. And we're also going to cover a lot of things related to healing techniques, uh, keeping oneself in a place of cleanliness, so to speak. I would say in, in that regard, refer to that as energetic hygiene. Like, you know, how are you conducting yourself? Where is your mind at? Where are your emotions at? How are you... Uh, centered within yourself before you go up and approach people. This is something that is going to become, I think, very important for when uh, psychedelics become legal in the culture because, you know, we we also play music at this place down the road called Reconsider. And the woman who founded it, or one of the women that founded it, is this beautiful center uh, that is like 60, 70 acres. It's on what they call Lundy Farms. You can check it out it's a non-profit um one of the women that founded it she created the film fantastic fungi which this seems like a lot of people know and it's a non-profit dedicated towards like creating community and doing the work of psychedelic healing in a integral way one of the guys who's a part of it it's like one of the founders i think of xl magazine which is kind of interesting hip-hop magazine and they have this epic center we go there and play music we've done doing sound baths for um people who work with at maps like some of the founding people of maps not specifically rick doblin but some of the other like major um contributors and researchers and therapists and uh administrators of maps and also many other like psychedelic type of um researchers across the country and therapists and then also first responders too we did one most recently one we did like a month or two ago was for uh <laughs> ambulance drivers cops sheriffs and you know they were going there specifically to learn about like trauma therapy and 
things pertaining to psychedelics and healing. And so at the end of their retreat, we came and did a sound bath for them. And, you know, our sound bath is not connected with psychedelics or anything like that. Um, in the sense of like, this is a, you know, a psychedelic experience or something in that regard, but it's something that's connected to indigenous culture and is connected to indigenous cultures that have worked with plant medicine. Although it's definitely not limited to that. We also work with, uh, many traditions within the African, uh, sphere and then the Indian things in Europe and Middle East, um, a lot of the Northern native traditions that don't work with plant medicine. So I just want to make sure that I'm not creating like a direct affiliation of dream seed with psychedelics or plant medicine, but just sharing about how, uh, we have been working with people in that sphere. And so we've been going over and talking with them about, you know, like what, what's, uh, what is, what's that situation looking like from your end of things, from the therapeutic perspective, it's really interesting to talk to people. Some of these people are therapists that have been doing, um, uh, like MDMA therapy and so on and so forth for many years. And, you know, legally authorized to do so through the through maps and so on and so forth or whatever to psilocybin research and really interesting to talk with them because like you bring up like oh like what do you guys do for energetic hygiene and things like that when you're facilitating a you know healing work for somebody um and a lot of people are like what does that mean <laughs> and it's like a very interesting thing for me because what i've started to realize is that a lot of things that are so second nature and almost like just as obvious as you put on like safety glasses if you're working with a chainsaw <laughs> you just don't think about it um when it comes to healing work for people in the sphere of energetic hygiene and so on and, and space holding is total are, are these are totally foreign concepts to a lot of people who are doing this like cutting edge psychedelic renaissance type healing work for people in the therapeutic sector and that to me has been like a very like huh moment because some of so many of these things are like really obvious to me and it's like why would you a part of me is like why would we even talk about that you know because it's like it's so obvious like that of course you would you know do this kind of preparation before doing any kind of healing service for somebody but then it's very fascinating when you talk to these people who are like at the um, the top level of this type of work and they're on some level maybe oblivious to it and I don't want to say like that they're it's not like a, a knock or anything because I think these from talking to these people my experience listening to them was that they seem like they're doing really really good things and they're helping a lot of people and they're going in a really good direction I'm really happy too that we're able to be there to kind of offer things that we've been passed and learned but I also um, just can see like a couple things where, you know, just talking about like if someone's coming into like a session, like how, you know, with certain things in regards like a purification of diet. And, and I think that the block around um, the energetic hygiene subject of discussion with the therapeutic world might be because the therapeutic world even though all these people i felt individually speaking were quite spiritual and open to spiritual experiences and mystical transcendental experiences you know of course why else would they be doing that kind of work with uh, psychedelic research and so on uh but i think there's a lot of resistance to within the 
institutional framework of like going too far off into like that kind of thing and you hear it a lot of people being like oh i don't want to get too woo woo you know hear people say that and it's kind of funny because uh it's like obvious that the culture at large has just totally dissected split itself off from a huge dimension of life and then just framed it as like uh you know hippie bs or something like that and so they've lost the connection to that dimension of life and you know that in order to you know appropriately guide certain experiences to like to disregard that dimension of life entirely is is quite confusing to me so i i think that uh what's cool is that you know i've seen these people who are the ones who are like putting pushing it forward in the culture and actually you know doing the work for people not just you know writing articles in like time magazine or something but are like legitimately like working with individuals in this kind of therapeutic context i see them being really open and wanting to learn more and uh although this program we created was not specifically for those people in mind although it would totally welcome said people uh this program i think is trying to find a way to disseminate if that's the word like the teachings of the indigenous cultures and elders that we have received in regards to healing work and things that our community has kind of uh integrated in, in a, like a second nature way and just find ways to kind of like share that with other people and so the idea is that you know you come to this um program and like even if you have never played any music we're going to teach a lot of music we're going to teach how to play like a lot of different instruments and we are going to teach how to hold space we're going to teach how to work with people like be hands-on doing healing work with people which is something that unless someone really shows you how to do i don't recommend you go do it for just a lot of reasons energetic hygiene being one but then also like how are you impacting people it's really important to have had that done to you in a certain way and then how to explain to you i think there's a lot of things about doing hands-on healing work with people that can just go in a not so um good direction for many different reasons if the practitioner has not been properly trained and such so we have some amazing people in the group who have a lot of experience with doing that through a number of different modalities and uh, there's a lot of stuff I could talk about within the details about the program that I didn't cover here specifically. We're going to be doing like an African music weekend with rhythm with um, a amazing uh, musician and teacher named Kevin Nathaniel, who is a studies tons of traditional African music, has a degree in music from Stanford, has traveled all over the world. He's been a part of our community for many years. We did a didgeridoo and, um, rhythm workshop with him actually earlier this year which was really epic and awesome and and yeah kevin has got a really like fun and playful and like expressive way of teaching you know things that can other times be quite like difficult to digest and that you know you might even say boring but the way that kevin teaches it is like super dynamic and like you're you're activating yourself while you're doing it because you're speaking the rhythm you're moving the rhythm through your body and you are doing it collectively as a group so it becomes almost like this tribal ritual experience and it's funny it's like really playful and like kind of silly that you're like you get different people in the group be like do 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 the other half's like 
but you're and then you're moving your body in a synchronization as we're going back and forth with those sounds and we create like this um this collective group voice this is kind of at the very fundamental of but what happens is you create all these different types of rhythms and polyrhythms and things like that and and you know there's kevin plays the ambira or the shaker ray and then people are welcome to bring in other instruments and it becomes this really amazing thing of like viscerally within yourself having energy and emotional um experiences those like move through your body as you're learning this rhythm and it's the best way to do it right as opposed to going and looking at like sheet music or something and that's another really important thing to kind of talk about with this program is that it is a intuitive music program and that wasn't a big reason why i got really inspired by it because like i was never trained as a musician growing up and i tell people that i started singing in like a ceremony in 2015 and the first instrument i played was the dig in 2012 and like when i I share people just that i've only been doing certain things for so long they'd look at me like i have five heads and wonder how that's possible and it's because what i do musically speaking most of the time and the majority of it is very intuitive based and i play a lot of intuitive instruments and i approach the music in that way i wasn't really trained very formally i took some classes and lessons but i learned a lot through the process of osmosis and that's something that we talk a lot about within our community and just in learning in general but also specifically with music and like you know once you are able to connect to that way of learning uh, intuitively and work with instruments and music in an intuitive way, then there can be some really epic and powerful things that come through. And you don't need, you realize like this whole thing of like, I need to know like the ins and outs of music theory and, uh, you know, proper timing and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's good to know that stuff. The more you know, I would say the better. And ironically, I'm also going to say paradoxically that sometimes the uh, the way becomes the obstacle <laughs> where it's like you start to know so much that you can't get out of your own way. And I can say for myself that when I actually knew less music, I think sometimes I would be able to create these things that were even more powerful things I create now because I was not creating from any place of like a... Um, previously traveled road like there was no sense of um this is the place that i'm going and i know where it's going to happen when i when we get there and what's going to unfold it was like this is a total mystery and so like the power of like the mystery (laughs) so to speak would come through the sound in a certain way and i would have these moments where it was just like you what is happening this is incredible and like that would be the feedback i would get from people and then what would happen is as i became I would I would open up those doors. I began to understand like how can I systematize <laughs> that that epicness, and I know that it still impacts people in a super uh, powerful way. But I can just say for myself, perhaps as like a practitioner and and a, and a musician, uh, it it was more epic for me when it would be just like this sudden like whoa this it'd be like this where did this energy come from where did this emotion come from that's being transmitted through the sound that the, the the state that's being transmitted through the sound is just so epic and it would always be through these like really spontaneous things like i would try things and it would be really jumbled and kind of a little messy from someone who's been trained formally through music but like what would come through would just be super cool 
and it would impact people really powerfully. So it's just what I want to convey as I'm going to be one of the main teachers in the program is just like that. You can come to this program never playing any music or singing and we want you to walk away feeling like you have the capacity to hold a musical container for people where they can go into a healing space because there are so many different instruments and styles and ways of expressing yourself through music that don't require technical skill. And I'm also trying to convey through my personal experiences here that sometimes that technical skill can become something that severs your connection to that power and mystery and spontaneity and epicness. And like I said in the very beginning, I do think the more you know, the better, because it's right. Like there's few people. Well, I'm going to backtrack. I do think the more you know, the better. Because when you look at people who are like true masters of sound and music, right, they oftentimes just know quite a bit. It's rare that you come across someone that is like an epic, epic uh, musician or something like that <laughs> that doesn't really know much about music. And at the same time, though, when you look at a lot of like healing ceremonial work with indige within indigenous cultures, oftentimes it's very simple. I was in a ceremony in mexico on new year's eve in 2013 in palenque um at the end of 2012 and um i remember they just drummed for like the first three hours of it there was no singing they just drummed it was like 40 people we all just sat there in concentration and i was in quite a deep place afterwards and then after that you know there was there was different healing chants and there was hands-on healing work and there was some different types of singing and so on but like i remember that just the simplicity of the drum and the silence afterwards and then the stripped down raw expression of the voice um that followed that was so powerful and who uh would not have the capacity to just beat on a drum you know a simple dun 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 for three hours hold a space of silence and then just do like a mantra chant uh, regardless if it's like a hindu mantra or a uh, yawanawa mantra or whatever the mantra is from any, any culture anyone can, it can essentially do that uh, in terms of technical capacity what makes it powerful is the way that the person is holding space and their consciousness and their awareness on how to bring that forth and understanding of like the power of simplicity so here you have people right that are like masters of their craft in terms of like space holding and healing and um ceremonial work and to be in under their musical uh, guidance is a really profound experience yet what they're doing technically is like so stripped down that's one of the most stripped down examples i can think of but, you know, there's other, there's many other things within indigenous cultures. I was talking to uh, this guy named Steve Scalar, one of the first people who introduced me to some of the more technical aspects of throat singing, um, specifically within the styles of like Hume and Horektir um, in Sigit. And he was talking about uh, sound healing at a workshop at this festival I went to called Indigenous Really Epic Didgeridoo Festival out in um, Oregon. And he was like, why is it that, you know, you go to some of these ancient cultures, uh, you know, you actually go to where they're located at and you 
see the instruments that they're using and so on like it's like this beat up singing bowl it's like rusted and it's like got dents and it. it doesn't really sound very good or <laughs> you got like you go to the huni kun they only got like one guitar or something and it's it's not really in tune and they, they need they don't have a capo um or you go you know it, these messed up flutes and it just and we're kind of i'm kind of taking creative liberty with the expression of how i'm representing cultures and stuff the main point is that we're talking about how is it you can go somewhere where they have something that's very simple not refined it's not heavily produced and that utilization of that sound that instrument and that technique has been effective for those people for like thousands of years how is that and it's because he says there is something that happens when the listener and the person who needs the healing is in a place of like trust and openness to receive and uh you know we can just think about the placebo effect right i've talked about certain things in regards to that on like the neuroscience type of uh podcast that i've done where someone has a nail go through their boot with uh like a four foot nail on a construction site and they're like all of a sudden in extreme pain and then they cut the boot off and it turns out that the nail missed their foot but it went through the boot <laughs> and like you know the person's having like legitimate physiological um indications that they are like you know going through extreme pain or that they are you know having they're having all the physiological responses of someone that actually would have had a nail shot through their foot although it missed their foot and it just went into their boot and then on the contrary there was a guy in colorado i think it was 2019 nail gun discharged in his face and he was fine he's like oh well it just like kind of bruised him because like the impact but he's like oh the nail wasn't there it didn't hit me he's fine six days later during the course of that six days he goes to work every day Everything's cool. He eats breakfast, breakfast, he sleeps, he watches TV, takes care of his family, goes to work. After six days, he goes to the dentist just to check it out. They get an x-ray. It turns out there's like a three-inch nail lodged in his brain like a centimeter away from like a, you know, a major artery or something that would have killed him. And he didn't feel it at all. It went through the roof of his mouth. <laughs> like, that's freaking crazy, man. But the point is like, what we think about what is happening to us and how we are framing it can physiologically dictate what we are experiencing. So if you are going to a sound bath and you're like, this is a bunch of bullshit and it's stupid and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be going if that was your attitude. But if you choose to do so, um, you're not probably going to have the same type of... Uh, experience is someone that's like really coming with an open heart and an open mind and uh you know what we bring to the table is gonna is what the universe meets us halfway let's put it like that right that's kind of like a more one-liner zen like phrase to to sort of discuss what we're talking about frame what we're talking about and this was what steve scholar was saying in the, in the sound healing workshop i was uh participating in with him he was just saying when you come with this like faith in the work then things really do open up and are quite profound so uh that can be said for like a lot of things um you know relationships that can be said for any type of uh endeavor that we're 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 working in if we can bring faith to that endeavor and a sense of like openness to receive 
then you will receive something, even if it's something uh, that it appears to be very stripped down, simple, fundamental, maybe not even in good shape. You might receive exactly what you need and quite a bit more from that. And so like how to create a container where regardless of who you are or what's been happening in your life that day or that week or month, when you come into that container, you feel something that is going to be impactful that's a big thing that we want to talk about is like how do we create the container how do you hold the container which has a lot to do with how you are holding yourself and the discipline that goes into that and the responsibility of of doing that and so there this is it's quite a thorough and in-depth discussion and it's funny on some level because a lot of times like these things seem really simple and straightforward and perhaps on some level they are right and and but like maybe what we're getting at too is that in our culture of extreme distraction and complexity and possibility you know creating something that's simple stripped down and and uh, rudimentary can actually be more difficult like can you just sit sit still without being distracted and just meditate uh and close your eyes and not do anything <laughs> As Thich Nhat Hanh says, that's actually the most difficult thing to do. Like, that is the most difficult thing to do. All the Tibetan teachers say that. The most difficult thing to do is just to sit still and not do anything. You realize just how much you've been wired to accomplish and create and explore and discover and so on, which are, those are all beautiful things. There's nothing wrong with that. But just recognizing that, like, it is very difficult to sit still. So simple things can be more come more challenging. Uh, and that, that's actually been like a funny thing I've learned by being a part of our group too, is that we have such an amazing configuration of instruments. Uh, so at times it can become kind of a challenge for us to strip things down and come back to just simplifying things, which we've done a good job of, I think, in a lot of ways, because this uh, sound bath altar, this intertribal altar, it's something that is been passed to us, right? This is another part why i feel confident and in alignment saying it's a ceremonial experience not just a sound healing experience is because um we've worked with different elders our teacher maestro manuel tito la rosa from peru um a lot of different native elders that have passed through and shared with us different songs and healing techniques from the amazon from uh, the mountains in chile from different northern tribes uh, but then, you know, also teachers from the Far East and so on. Uh, and we have really tried to respectfully and harmoniously integrate those aspects of healing and sound into this altar place so that we really feel like we're not just creating something that's like hodgepodge and we just decide to arbitrarily throw it together. There's some things within our altar place that are like totally unique creative things that we came up with i in particular have like tried to um <laughs> mix mash as many different like unique type instruments as i possibly can find um into this work uh, including using a loop station i'm pretty sure that's that's a more unique approach and uh but we ultimately it's something that we've been passed it's something that like we were trained in it's something that we were given like instruction on how to utilize and uh with our teacher Maestro Manuel, right he's been with us this entire time he's technically 
the founding member of Dream Seed, although he only participates in several Dream Seeds uh, that we operate a couple times a year based on special events. He prefers to let us do it because he's oftentimes too busy with a lot of other things, but we have kind of been in accordance with his guidance throughout the, the process of creating this experience ceremonial container for people. And so it's been a um, it's been a container that has been in alignment with elders and the traditions from which these instruments, songs, and modalities come from. And so it's a pretty cool opportunity to like pick the brains of 12 plus different people in understanding what th this type of work is all about. It's not something that I think is easily accessible uh, because a lot of times traditional elders uh, don't want to share things with the general public. You know, it's like there's a sense, especially within the native traditions in the Americas, is a sense of like, there's just been a lot, I mean, there, there was a genocide from one culture to the other and the repercussions of that are still deeply felt today so how much would you want to share your culture uh with people that are <laughs> you know coming from that end of things and of course there's plenty of elders also that are really open uh tito la rosa and tata pedro are, are great examples and um met some num number of really amazing hunikun elders and shipibo elders and so on and people that are really open to sharing things so there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of like cross-cultural dialogue here and like that's our group i think has been able to pick up on a tremendous amount of that in a really harmonious and clean way where not in an appropriated way at all and that has I think makes this type of work really epic and empowering for people to come and participate in because it's not something that was just like we just oh that look that looks kind of Native American let's do that <laughs> you know it's something that's like okay now this is in harmony with the way that the thing was supposed to have been passed down and of course there's always people regardless of where you go that don't agree with the way that you do things and you know everyone's no one can make everybody happy so i'm sure there's people out there that have criticized the way we've done things but ultimately like we have been passed these things by different elders and traditional people and kept them in accordance and alignment with the traditions uh and we've had a check on that with our teacher and all the different elders that have passed through our community over the years so i feel quite confident in sharing that this is going to be a program that uh will connect you to the spirit of the shamanic traditions from across the globe so um there's a, some more information about it on goldendrum.org you're totally welcome to reach out to me if you have any questions about it my email is jwalsh32390 at gmail.com uh feel free to ask any questions if you want to go any deeper into it there's a lot more said could be said about it i was actually going to have brooke come on here she wanted to come on for the podcast but there was not uh time she's doing a retreat right now and i'm actually going to be heading to europe in a couple days so um we weren't able to make it happen but maybe when i get back from europe at the end of september i'll have brooke come on and talk a little bit more about like what 
um, this program is about and just her take on it. And that's the last thing I want to say about it is what's excellent. You don't have one teacher. You have 12 teachers, 13, 14 different people teaching you different things at different times. And so it's like the diversity of lenses that you're going to get into this world is pretty unique oftentimes. Um, we are working with a couple people. Here you have like really a whole pool of people. So it'll be really special and uh, it's available online, in person, and hope you can make it. So just wanted to kind of share some stuff about that because just talking about like the philosophy behind it, I think ties into a lot of things in regards to subjects that people in this podcast listen to would be interested in because it's a lot about like holding space like transforming energy and bringing people to a more clear refined purified compassionate state of consciousness and it's a technique that is uh one that can be learned by anyone willing to dedicate themselves to the work it's not something that requires a technical skill i hope that point was clear enough um, although we are going to be teaching a lot of technical skills, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, drum making, we're going to teach people how to play the dig to a certain degree, you know, the level of, of what you can do with that will be based on your own volition. Uh, we're going to be teaching singing, going to be teaching toning, going to be teaching flutes, going to be teaching, you know, the bowls, all these different things. So there will be like a technical aspect that comes through, but we really want people to feel if you want to hold a container for people and be in a place where you are uh, creating space for someone to go through a transformative process and learn how to use sound just like a, a acupuncturist use an acupuncture needle then this is a program that uh, you will feel really happy that you took and we're going to offer certification afterwards that gives you uh, credentials to facilitate this work so that it's something that uh, is essentially authorized by the group and hopefully try to create opportunities for people further to um, go deeper into this practice because uh, the more people doing this work is the better and uh, of course the more properly trained you can be the better as well so we're going to pivot now to the second part of this podcast and which is going to be more just kind of some notes that I've been taking, kind of stream of consciousness type things. And uh, I mentioned earlier in, on this episode of uh, the way becomes the obstacle. I came across somebody and passed that phrase on to me recently. I've heard it before, I'm sure. But I've, it's, it's stuck with me a lot. The way becomes the obstacle. This idea that what we learn and what we take to be spiritual or what we take to be uh, important or the technique that all of a sudden blocks us from what <laughs> it was supposed to deliver us to. And the question then just becomes like, what do you do at that moment? It's an inevitable part on your path, whatever the path means to you. And I think Ram Das talked about this. He's like, okay, you know, the meditation, the yoga, the guru, the medicine, whatever it is, it all becomes a, a tool and a technique and a, and a method on the path. And we have a tendency to become uh, addicted to that. 
and we become um, compulsive towards it. Maybe not compulsive, but essentially, essentially um, fixated on it, where it becomes the entire path for us. And then suddenly, when one specific thing becomes like the path for us, then naturally we're blocking out many other things. And this is, I think, why they say, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. It's the same premise, right, of like, don't create religious iconography, don't create gurus, don't create um, the one who knows, don't, don't get overly invested in a single technique or method to the point where you can no longer get to where it was trying to deliver you to. And uh, this has just been like an interesting meditation uh, for myself personally, and I just felt like it was a good phrase to share on this podcast, like the, the method, sorry, <laughs> uh, the way becomes the obstacle. And at the same time, it's like, okay, if the way becomes the obstacle, how can you still not throw the baby out with the bathwater? That's kind of like the meditation that I've been having about it is, yeah, okay. Meditation, it can become like a type of medicine. It can become a practice where it does something for you, to you. And, but if you just remain in a meditative state, and you're not bringing that meditative state out into your everyday actions, then it kind of defeats the purpose, right? Regardless, it's still important to keep coming back to the practices. So once again, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, not annihilating your practice. Even though it says kill the Buddha in the road, uh, you know, you still should come to the Buddha with a lot of humility and a lot of respect and try to understand a little bit more what the Buddha is talking about. And it's kind of like when you are so busy trying to confront yourself and do your spiritual practices, you are not able to do other things, right? You're not able to uh, be just open to what's happening in the unfolding of the present moment. And that makes you essentially like not very spiritually connected and so it's like you know confrontation i think is an important key to waking up confronting ourselves confronting circumstances situations and people but if we're so busy confronting things then we're actually just finding a way to avoid the present moment and so i've just been kind of like reflecting on this sort of paradox about you know you go too far one direction regardless if it's the right direction so to speak if there's such a thing to be said and it can kind of lead you into the door of the opposite place so this is just an interesting thing to reflect upon as we approach spirituality is are we becoming spiritual materialists as Chognam Trungpa would talk about where it's like I'm doing all these practices I'm doing all this sacred shenanigans and so on and so forth and it becomes this very heavy identity that keeps you from just like participating in the natural unfolding of what's occurring in the moment uh just something to think about and what kind of stemmed off of this thought for me was i heard this uh i think it's a neurobiologist that her name was anna lemke who's done all these studies on dopamine she was talking about the issue these days is not like that we are these hunter-gatherer people who need to um, fight for survival 
instead it's like we need to fight to live as a friend of mine put it and her way of putting it is by her i mean anna lemke what she said is that it's like you're a cactus that is just in a rainforest being pummeled in water that's what it, that's what the human experience is like these days with the incessant stimulation from uh cell phones and social media and technology and just the mechanistic advancements of our civilization and the constant stimulation we're just like cactuses drowning in water our brain is the cactus and like the dopamine dopaminergic stimulation is the water and this is just something that i i think it actually connects to what i was talking about in the dream seed section of this podcast because it's this idea of like sometimes complexity complexity and technicality is actually very counter towards arriving at a state of mastery and i think any taoist philosopher practitioner would agree with me on that one and this idea right of like once again the way becomes the obstacle it's the same premise of like oh these technological advancements are giving us access to everything what a horrible thing that has become <laughs> like oh man now we are all like totally um just completely overstimulated, hyper aroused, and completely disoriented and fragmented from our natural state of being because we have access to everything. Wouldn't it have been better if we just had that one crappy singing bowl? <laughs> and just like it, just these are just my my meditations about things. I like to just kind of create a list of things that I'm meditating about and just for further reflection and. This is something, this metaphor of like a cactus drowning in water has been one that's been just deeply uh, impactful for me. Um, and it's something like as we have become so connected to one another through technology, maybe there needs to be a way to... Uh, create more space and like i think that's kind of what happened with the whole situation with covid and everything regardless of any political musings about it ultimately it created a sense of space between people both li literally and figuratively that i think on a certain degree was actually needed and like i said regardless of the political aspects of any of that situation uh we needed to just stop and just pause for a moment and really reflect about what the hell we were doing and uh this comes to this buddhist teaching right of like things fall apart you know that's pema children's book and what i love about that book is any page that you open up to at any sentence almost you can just be in a place of profound um contemplation and impactfulness by the way that she writes about it. when things fall apart and the medicine of when things fall apart and that's just been something like that i have been reflecting on and like one thing that's just popping into my head right now i read this quote i don't know where it was or when or how long ago but it was something like when i think it was like a literally a desktop background that i thought was cool maybe in like high school or something <laughs> but the quote has now just popped in my head which is when society dismantles adventure the only adventure left is to dismantle society <laughs> and that's kind of what i'm i'm thinking about 
uh, in respects to this situation. And there's a quote from some of the elders of the initiatic tradition from which my Sherman Well comes from uh, is that, you know, the path is 99% unlearning. We're trying to declutter. We're trying to take things out. We're trying to get back to a simplified place. It's through simplification and uh, just direct naked awareness of the present moment that we can come into a place of like clarity and understanding and peace about things. And just this constant need for hyperstimulation that the society is pummeling down our throats. And by society, I don't just mean like, you know, like the man in the system or some really funny thing from the 60s. I'm talking about like what we do to each other. And I can say like even living in community, our community does this too. We have like WhatsApp groups for people in the community and just like the messages on the phone and the demanding uh, energy the phone can bring into even life here in a spiritual community so it's interesting when things fall apart not necessarily a bad thing maybe when things fall apart we're able to finally break away from all the distractions and get to what actually matters the core of what is important and what is truly effective um so it, i think you know what's also coming to me is this idea like that when life is really really challenging and really intense it conjures up this sense of like purpose and like a mission inside of us. Like I must overcome this. <laughs> I channel the strength <laughs> to deal this. Like, you know, you get into a certain mentality, like because it's pushing you. And so it invokes certain energies within you that are, could be quite epic and amazing. You know, that's why everyone loves watching things like Lord of the Rings and so on, Star Wars or whatever, because it's like this epic struggle and people find this tremendous power in themselves to overcome this this menacing adversities but like what do you do when you're just stuck in traffic think about that like what do you do when you're just stuck in traffic it's so irritating <laughs> i mean it can be let's put it that way not all the time but like my point is what do you do when the menacing ad adversary is something that's actually just like small and irritating and incessant and it's not really very important and it's not something that you can really fundamentally get rid of that's actually one of the most if not <laughs> i won't say it's one of the most i would just say that's a very challenging aspect of life that everyone regardless of who they are of what they've been through will find themselves struggling with and if you think you're different just go to the airport <laughs> <laughs> what i mean by that is like when you get in certain environments and situations where it's like it go through TSA, go spend a weekend with your parents, like these things that are not like, you know, it's not like someone's coming to kill you or something or the Terminator is here. It's just like these uh, very repressive social environments or just jarring social environments and watch as you lose your emotional calm. And I am talking about this again, too, because it's coming back this idea of like, the traffic, for example, it's simple. Can you just sit there? Oh, but it's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's a funny thing to reflect upon. And uh, there's a quote I love a lot. I heard it in the film Jacob's Ladder. I haven't seen that movie in quite some time. I watched a trailer for it a few a month ago. It looks pretty freaky. But I don't remember it being that intense, scary. But it's a, it's a movie about the sky. It's like a Vietnam vet. He's having all kinds of crazy flashbacks 
like religious iconography and demons and stuff like that. And I remember it being a really profound film, although I don't remember most of it, but I do recall there's a moment where he's being counseled by someone going through this process. And the guy says, quoting Meister Eckhart, the like something medieval Christian mystic. He said, Meister Eckhart said that if you're frightened of dying, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. And I thought that was a really powerful quote just about how we can shift our perspective about what is happening to us and how that can provide some solace in dealing with any type of adversity that all situations, circumstances, and things arising, pleasant or unpleasant, are ultimately vehicles for my freedom and just like was talking about in the dream seed section where something is triggering no one wants to be triggered but if you can complete the full cycle of that emotional experience you can recognize that it's actually a liberating force and that fundamentally this path is about freedom and about becoming a free individual but we have to be willing to embrace that the devils and their and their angelic side so to speak in order to become free from the earthly plane and of course just like in that film it's a frightening and disorienting process but trusting people such as meister eckhart and those who've come before before us in the process that you know courage on the path and uh faith in the uncluttering and return to simplicity will result in freedom and in this respect uh the obstacle becomes the way so the way became the obstacle a few moments ago as i said but now the obstacle is becoming the way and i have mentioned on this podcast that i was doing jujitsu and i (laughs) blew out my knee i'm deeply considering going back to it uh, my knee is still a little bit messed up. I can run now, but it hurts. Uh, but nonetheless, I've been cleared to run by the doctor. And like this idea, though, of like the obstacle becomes a way is a very martial art, jujitsu type philosophy. And it's something that needs to be studied and meditated upon and then put into practice because this uh, there is tremendous potential that lies in the obstacle it just becomes a understanding of how to relate to it in the right way and i currently need to go take care of my son as it is time for me to grab him and like i said i'm gonna be so i'm gonna cut the podcast short with this and i kind of like leaving it here this idea of like you know the the way became the obstacle because we were too um spiritual about things whatever you want to call it i don't know And now what I'm saying is that the obstacle can become the way through proper relationship and a shift in perspective. Thanks for listening. Write me if you have any questions. Take it easy. House, house, peace.